Genesis chapter 42, to give you a highlight or some, some understanding of where we've been, we've been talking about detours. And uh, we talked about how God uses detours to get us where he wants us, right? Now, here's one of the things I want to challenge us, because today we're going to be looking at God's saving grace. And you may look and go, wait a second, how do we see God's grace in the story of Joseph? And this is the reality. This is the truth that we have to understand, because a lot of times we'll read scripture and we read ourselves into the text. Like, we'll see things like this. Well, I'm Joseph. I'm going through a detour. Joseph's brothers mistreated him. I've had friends mistreat him, so I must be Joseph. Right? You ever better, everybody kind of been there, right? And to a certain extent, we've kind of looked at that, that God wants to use the detours that we go through in order to get us prepared for what he has. But I want us to know this, that all of Scripture is about who? God. God. God first and foremost. God in three persons, what we just sang about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Scripture, we begin to ask questions like this. Who is God? What is God trying to teach me about him? What is God trying to show me about the truth of his word? What is God trying to reveal to me that I need to apply to my life? And one of the struggles that oftentimes we have is we read ourselves into the text. And so when we read ourselves into the Joseph story, we become the what? To a certain extent, we become the hero. When scripture was never intended to make you the hero. You and I aren't the heroes of the story. You and I are the villains, right? Have you ever thought about that in scripture? You and I are the villains in the story of Jesus. And what I mean by that is this. Your sins and my sins are the very thing that drove him to the cross. You and I, if we were to read the story of Joseph in a proper understanding, would be the brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. Why? Because they were jealous of everything that had gone on. They hated him for certain reasons. So it's important for us to keep this in mind. When I read the Old Testament, I have to read the Old Testament in context. Matter of fact, uh, our Believe class, and I do want to let you know that on Sunday morning, if you're not involved in a life group, you don't have to sign up. You can just come. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 9.15. Uh, we go to about 10.15. We're going through what do we believe and things like that. But I, 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 I talked about context, right? And, and I saw this a while ago. Matter of fact, I wish I had the, the picture. Um, but it says, everybody loves to lick the bowl. It's a picture. Everybody loves to lick the bowl. Problem is, it was hanging in a bathroom. Right? Like, context is key. Am I not correct? Like, if I saw that picture in a bathroom, we're going to have problems. Because my first thought is, yeah, I don't like to lick that bowl. Right? I'll lick the beaters in the kitchen. So context is key. And so that, that, that sign in the proper context speaks volumes. If that thing's hanging in the kitchen and I see my wife's baking brownies or cookies, and she's like, you want to lick the bowl? I'm like, heck yeah. If my wife's in the bathroom or if my kids are in the bathroom or if I'm in the bathroom and I looked at my kids and said, hey, you want to lick the bowl? They'd be like, what? No. (laughs) But I take the context of scripture or I take scripture in the context with which it's written. So our lives are full of detours. Yes, we talked about that. Detours are are, are very significant. They're annoying. 
Um, they, they lead us in longer directions than we ever wanted to do, right? They, they, they take us from where we have a, a, an intended goal, and they say, hey, we're going to divert you around whatever's going on in order to get you to where you need to be. They're, 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 they're a nuisance at times. But yet it's important for us to understand this, that detours lead us to see our need for God's grace and God's salvation in our life. And that's the truth of what happens here in Genesis chapter 42. Now, I'm going to unpack just a little bit in a very specific way today, Genesis 42 through Genesis 45. This thing's going to be like an hour and a half long sermon. No. Right? Bring it. (laughs) Okay. I do want us to understand, though, the truth of what's going on in Genesis verses 42 through 45. And that's this that the reality of Joseph's, Joseph's detour is going to come full circle now. Remember, Joseph had a dream. Matter of fact, he had two dreams. And he told his brothers and his father about it, and they were mad at him, right? And as a result of them being mad at him for a number of reasons, Joseph was sold into slavery to the Ishmaelite traders, who then took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, who then he served Potiphar for years, we said anywhere from seven to eight years, he's thrown in prison as a result of, of Potiphar's wife, or sorry, Potiphar, yeah, Potiphar's wife uh, accusing him of, of raping her. He's thrown into prison. In prison, he runs into the, the chief baker as well as the, the cupbearer. He tells them their dreams. One's going to die. One's going to live. And Joseph tells them to remember them. They're released. The baker's killed. The cupbearer lives. And Joseph's forgotten. Then we looked at last week how Pharaoh had a dream and the, the cupbearers reminded of his sin against not just Pharaoh, but against, against Joseph himself. He says, oh, forgive me where I've sinned. I forgot about this man. I ran into, in, into prison when you had us there and he interpreted our dreams. And Joseph comes and interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And remember Pharaoh's dream. He had two of them, right? It was the same dream, one and the same, But they meant something very specific, that there was going to be seven years of famine, or I mean, seven years of excess, seven years of abundance in the crops, and then seven years of famine. Now, it's important for us to know that in in Genesis 41, we see that Joseph entered Pharaoh's uh, service at the age of 30. Now, Joseph is 37, almost 38, maybe 38, even at this point, and it comes to this point in time where the the famine has, has risen. That, that is running rampant to the point where Egypt is out of food as well as the surrounding countries are out of the food that they need. And so today, as we follow along, if you follow along with me, Genesis 42, I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses, and then uh, we're going to jump in to the rest of the sermon. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 42, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? Now, every dad goes, exactly. Right? Like, like, there's a problem here. And the boys are all just looking at each other like, what? That's what he's laying out. Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. So go down there, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Anybody ever notice something here? Joseph's brothers aren't trusted by his own father. 
Ever since Joseph has disappeared, I would venture to say that they were not trusted all the way around, especially with his prized child now, which would be Benjamin, his last with Rachel. So it says, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, notice this, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Somebody tell me what that reminds him of. The dream, right? Joseph told them this dream and what lo and behold happens? They're bowing down to Joseph. Now they don't know it's Joseph. They don't realize everything that's gone on, but they know that they need the grain. And so as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Now, I think it's important for us to keep this in mind and to know what's going on. Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And I do believe that it has a lot to do with what was going on. Joseph most likely looked like every other Egyptian male at that time, to a certain extent, shaved head, bald. They would wear their different hair things or, or coverings and robes and things like that. So it would be natural for them not necessarily to know him. Number one is that reason. Number two, it's probably been around 21 years since they sold him into slavery, 20 to 21 years. Now, there are some people that age well, and there are others that we know don't. Like I joke around every now and then and I'll pull my Facebook account up and there'll be somebody I went to high school and I'll look at my wife and I'll like, how old do you think they are? She's like, I don't know, 60, 65? I'm like, yeah, I went to high school with them. She's like, wow, time has not favored him well. Um, and it is, it's just true. But this is the reality of what's going on. His brothers are older. Keep in mind, Joseph was younger. He's probably 38 years old right now, 39 max. He's, he's aged, but yet at the same time, everything has changed. And number two, why would they expect to find Joseph in Egypt, let alone in that position? If you sell your brother into slavery, what is most likely your thought? Number one, is he even alive anymore? Number two, if you're a slave and you're sold again, there's a great potential you're probably gonna be sold in multiple ways to different people. But yet God orchestrates and ordains everything that goes on to keep this in mind for the salvation of his people. God orchestrates every detour in your life, in my life, in the lives of his people, the lives of people who follow him day in and day out. God orchestrates all of those so that his name may be made great, so that his kingdom is priority. And so listen, Here's the beauty of this. The life of Joseph is a picture or a portrait of who Jesus was to come. That is what we see. When Moses leads the people across the Red Sea, most people go, oh, look at Moses. I can could, I could see Moses leading the people out of Israel, and I see me leading people out of slavery. No, Moses is a picture of Jesus leading people from death to life from a broken land, a corrupt land, to the promised land, the hope 
and the future that he has. And listen, what a confirmation that is to the inspiration of God's word as we look at this. Keep this in mind, that every story in the Old Testament proclaims the goodness and the majesty and the grace of God because it is always showing man's sin and God's love and grace towards us. So listen, we can look at the life of Joseph and we can say, hey, I'm going through detours that I know that God is going to see those through to the end. But keep this in mind. You and I are not the heroes. We're not the victors. We are the ones who need the salvation of Jesus day in and day out. So listen, Joseph, the son, he's seen as the son first. He's seen in four ways what we see in Genesis. Number one, he's seen as the son. Number two, he's seen as the suffering servant. If you know anything about the story of Jesus in the, in the book of Isaiah, there are four suffering servant passages that he's portrayed as, that Jesus is the suffering servant and Joseph is the suffering servant. He suffered under Potiphar. He suffered under the rule of, 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 of the, the game warden to a certain extent. And he even suffered under uh, Pharaoh until he was elevated. So he's the suffering servant. He's also, listen, the exalted sovereign one. When Pharaoh places him in charge of everything, he says, no one in all the earth is greater than you but me. And I want you to keep this in mind, that Jesus is part of the Trinity. And he's obedient to the will of the Father. And that everything that the Father has given him, he is over and in charge of. And he does it in result of, or as in obedience to, God the Father and what God the Father lays out. So it's important for us to see that all of these things are God's way of showing us that we need his grace and his mercy. So, I want you to remember this, if you remember anything else. God goes to great lengths to show his love and grace even in our detours. Every story throughout scripture, every narrative that we see, every truth that's unveiled is God going to great lengths to show his love and grace. And he goes to the greatest length through Jesus' death on the cross. God shows us love and grace through Jesus' death on the cross, even while we go through our detours. Now, you may sit back and go, what are you talking about? Because I didn't really necessarily see the brothers on a detour. But the brothers have been on a detour just like everybody else. Matter of fact, the brothers are on a detour now. Do you think the people of Canaan understood or knew what was going on? Do you think they knew the future about the, the potential famine that God had promised to Pharaoh? Most likely, no. What they did know was that the food was gone. That's why we see in 42 verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? Go down there, buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Now, there's a number of parallels that we begin to unpack, but I want to draw our attention to a couple things real quick. Number one is this, that God's promise always comes to light. That when God promises something, it always comes to light. God promised in the Old Testament that there would be the future Messiah that would come, that Jesus would come, and that comes to light. That God promised Joseph through the dream that, listen, Joseph, here's here's the reality of what's going to happen. Now, Joseph didn't understand 
everything that played out. Joseph didn't know the time and the day and the way, but Joseph followed in faith of what God had set out. And so Joseph, listen, Joseph's family's looking for food so they can live and not die. And remember, Joseph's dream reveals the truth that God said, I will provide all things for you, that they are going to bow down. So Joseph was exalted to this place of honor because he was the man of God. Matter of fact, in verse 18, he says this, on, in, in 42, verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, this is to his brothers, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go. Now, here's the reality of what plays out in Joseph's story. Joseph feared God in every circumstance, in every season, in every detour that God led him. And that's why he walked in obedience. He knew that God was on the throne, that he wasn't. He knew that he could not understand God's ways. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways, that sometimes we're not gonna understand all that God is trying to do. But it says that he feared God. And as a result of his fear for God, he walks in obedience with him. Why? Because all the glory belongs to God and God alone. So it's very clear that when God makes a promise, God's promises come to light. And when God's promises come to light, he's gonna reveal exactly what it is he has for you and I to accomplish, what it is he wants you and I to do so that he gets all the honor and all the glory. See, at this point, it's been roughly 21 years. We just said that earlier about Joseph being sold to the slave traders. But I want you to know this, that you never know, long, know how long your detours are going to go, how long you're gonna be stuck and the specific detour God may be taking you through. But what you can hold on to is this promise, that God will always be with you. Because the promise is that. No matter what detour, no matter what valley, no matter what trial you're walking through, no matter which direction God takes you, God says, I will always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That as you walk through the detour, I am going to give you strength. I am going to help you walk. I am going to help you live. I am going to help you function. But listen, we have to. We have to fear God and trust him in all of those things. And then I said this, and I want you to understand what I'm talking about. Joseph's going through his detour and God is working all things out for Joseph. But listen, his brothers and father are going through a detour now, right? because now they don't know if they're gonna be able to live or die. So his brothers take a detour. Hey, go get some food. And in the midst of that detour, God is working out something great and it's called their salvation. Did you know that in the midst of your detours, God is trying to work out your salvation? Matter of fact, some of you, Maybe for years, maybe for decades, you've been rejecting God and God is taking you on detour after detour and every detour God's trying to use to point you to his goodness and his grace, to reveal truth about who he is and what he wants to accomplish. When I deal with an addiction or when I deal with these types of things in my life, when I continue to turn my back on God, God's gonna kind of say, all right, but I'm gonna show you who I am. Every detour is God simply showing you more and more of who he is and what he wants to do for you. Every detour is an opportunity for God to redeem you, to save you. And that's important for us to know. Why? Because God's promise 
comes to light. Number two is this, that God reveals sin and we have to own it. We talk about God going to great lengths, but God reveals sin and we have to own it. Here's what's crazy. Over, four, over Genesis chapter 42 through 45 is this. It is a consistent, drawn out picture of Joseph's interactions with his brothers. Joseph knows the truth. Joseph has lived the consequences of the decisions his brothers has made. And Joseph just wants his brothers to own it. Do you get that picture? Jesus knows the truth. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus wants you to own. Own your sin. That's the idea of what we talked about with confession. That when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of any and all unrighteousness. Why? Because God reveals sin. We have to own it. If you look at verse, uh, chapter 42, verses 22 through 23, I haven't read those yet, but I just want to read it real quick. Listen to what it says. This is Reuben. Now, keep in mind, the story of Joseph's going on, and Reuben had disappeared, right? They went to sell Joseph. Reuben's like, let's not do that. Let's throw him in this cistern. Reuben disappears, along come the Ishmaelite traders, he's sold off, and then Reuben shows up, and he's like, what the heck did you guys do? Right? And in verse 22, Reuben says it this way, did I not tell you, or didn't I tell you to not sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Like, I love this, right? Here's the older brother comes in. You guys are a bunch of hoodlums. I told you not to do it, and now we're in trouble. Anybody else in your family like that? But now listen to what he says. Now we must, begin, we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. And listen to Joseph. Listen to what happens. He turned away from them and he began to weep. But then he turned back and he spoke to them. And he had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Now, I think there's a number of things that we begin to understand, but Joseph's dream made them mad, right? And that madness led them to hatred, which led them to sin against Joseph. And they finally are coming to this reality that, that listen, God works in his ways and our detours to assure his glory and his kingdom move forward, but they finally own their sin. And I believe that this is the beginning of salvation. I believe this is the, the point where Joseph, Joseph weeps out of compassion over him. If you notice in chapter 42, verse 8, it says that Joseph spoke roughly to him, right? And I want you to see this, that sometimes when God corrects us, he's going to speak roughly to us, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have compassion. Joseph comes as a result of knowing the truth of what's going on and speaks harshly at first with his brothers. And then as his brothers own their sin, he has compassion. Now, he doesn't let the cat out of the bag at this point, right? He doesn't let him know like, hey, like, this just wouldn't be the right way. And here's the reason why. Because God's got a greater picture in store. God's got a greater purpose in store for everything that's gonna go on. And so listen, the Bible is very clear that we must own our sinfulness, that we confess our sins. Why? Because confession is the beginning of restoration and deliverance. That when I confess my sins, I'm acknowledging myself as a sinner. And I'm asking God to do what only he can do, which is save me from my sins. That's the beginning of salvation. 
So God reveals our sins to us. We just have to own it. And then here's number three, that God's grace provides life. God's grace provides life. And keep in mind, you're not Joseph. I'm not Joseph. We're the brothers here. And the confession of their sin leads them to this point. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 45. In 45 verse 1, it says this, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And listen, it says this, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Now, think about this. You just found out your brother is second to none but Pharaoh. The same guy who has given you all the grain to go back and provide for your family. The same guy who then puts a cup inside the bag of Benjamin so Benjamin would be left back in Egypt. The same guy that eventually, when they go and get the father, is going to restore the salvation of the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because the nation of Israel is now going to live in Egypt. Keep in mind, as the Old Testament goes, that the 12 sons of Jacob would be the 12 tribes of Israel. And so God begins to show his grace and how his grace provides life and how through the life that he provides that he's gonna restore or redeem or continue the bloodline for the Messiah when Jesus would come and pay the ultimate price with his death on the cross. So I wanna give you five pictures under God's grace. Five pictures that I believe we see. We're gonna unpack these pretty quick. Actually, it's four pictures, sorry. I believe I got in there. Four pictures that unpack God's grace in a very simple way. Number one is the picture of compassion. God's love is greater than all our sin. Joseph's love for his brothers was greater than the sin of his brothers. Why? Because he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him. Joseph begins to restore them back. He even says in verse five, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Keep that in mind, that God's grace provides life, that God did this in order to save the lives, not just the lives of, of Joseph and his brothers, but the lives of Egyptians as well. And it's a, pure, it's a beautiful picture of what takes place because oftentimes we look at the Old Testament and we go, see, God just loved the Israelites. When God is showing his grace for both the Israelites and the Gentiles at this point in time. He's showing mercy to the Egyptians who would look and say, look at all the things we've done. But if God hadn't provided Joseph for a point in time in life, that God's salvation wouldn't have taken place for Egypt or the rest of the world. So God gives us this picture of compassion in a great way in the Old Testament. And so Joseph's detour led him to this point. The detour of the famine leads the family to salvation. Joseph is the deliverer. He's the king. He's the one who pays the ultimate price to save not only his brothers, but to save Egypt. Matter of fact, as I think about this, it reminds me of Romans chapter five, verse eight. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. Now you may say, well, Joseph didn't die. No, he didn't. Keep in mind, this is a picture. It's a picture of what the Messiah would be, who the Messiah would be, what he was going to accomplish. And he didn't minimize their sin. And please be very clear with this. God doesn't minimize your sin. Your sin is egregious. It's, 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 it's profane. It's ugly. It's death-worthy. God doesn't minimize our sin. He maximizes his grace. Why? Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's the picture of compassion that takes place. See, there's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you're gonna do that's gonna make God love you any less. Number two is a picture of communion. You know, we just celebrated communion, but in the, in the, in the text, verses 42, chapters 42 through, verse, through 45, there's a point in time where Joseph has communion with his brothers. Do you know that? Now, they ate at different tables, but they had communion. They ate together. And here's what I find is a beautiful picture. Because the Bible says this, if anyone is hungry, he's invited to the banquet table with Christ. Just as Joseph wanted to restore fellowship and communion with his brothers and family, God wants to restore fellowship and communion with each one of us. And he loves you and he wants you to love him and he knows you and he wants you to know him. And communion is this idea that we partake together. As a matter of fact, if you're not saved, I want you to know that God wants to save you. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says this, here I am, I stand at the door and I knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to what he says, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's the story or the picture of communion. That no matter how far you are, God's knocking at the door, calling you to salvation. In the midst of your detour, he's saying, I want you to come and eat with me. Just own your sin, confess your sin, call on me, I will save you. And here's the third picture, a picture of salvation. Chapter 45, verses four through eight, listen to what he says. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. So don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was God or it was to save lives that God sent me. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But look at verse seven. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Listen, God works in his timing and in his ways, and it's a beautiful picture of salvation. Joseph was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. Joseph was exalted, and he says, come to me. And listen, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. It's a picture of salvation. But it took them taking a step of faith towards seeking the Savior. It took their father to press them to go and look for salvation because they knew there was no other way. And listen, Jesus offers the same saving grace. How are we saved? By grace through faith. God gives us 
the grace so that by faith we can confess him, confess our sins, confess him as Lord, believe that he died on the cross and rose again. And here's what's beautiful about this. This is what I love. Keep in mind, Joseph was given a new ring and Joseph was given a new robe. Did you know that you and I, when we are new creatures, new creations in Christ, that we're given new garments? Isaiah chapter 61 says this, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. When you and I are a new creation in Christ, he takes the royal garments and he wraps them around us, the garments of Jesus, and he gives us the righteousness that we need. That's the picture of salvation. That's the beauty of the story of Joseph. And here's the last thing. The last picture we see is this picture of commission. See, here's what happens. Joseph reveals this truth, but his father still isn't there. There's more to be done. There's more people to be told. And this, this, this picture of commission is exactly this, that you and I were redeemed, were forgiven, and were commissioned to fellowship with the king. And Joseph's brothers were to return home to tell his family, all of his family, what God had done through him to proclaim his exalted position and to bring them to live with him where he reigned. And that is exactly what you and I are called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ to proclaim the goodness of God, that we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, that we brought to a place of salvation. And God says, bring others with you. Why? Because I am the one who provides life and life more abundantly. I'm the one who provides the food in the midst of things. Why? Because when you're gonna eat and eat physically, you're always gonna hunger. But when you eat of me, you will always have your fill. That will always provide a way. So Jesus gave us this great commission, right? To go and tell others. And the story of Joseph is this, what man intended for good, or what man intended for evil, God intends for good. And listen, every religious act is man's attempt to try and do the good things of God when God says, it's, there's nothing based upon your attempt, it's only by the grace of God that you can come. It's only by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that you can come. And so I pray and I hope that today, as you begin to understand this idea of detour, that God wants to use every detour you are on, not to make you the hero, but to understand that God is the hero. That through Jesus, I can walk through the detours, right? I can be content in every circumstance. That I can know that every trial, every struggle, every valley, every mountaintop, that God is with me. He will never leave me, forsake me. And that I can experience the salvation of God in my life day in and day out. And I can use the detours that God takes me to proclaim the goodness of God to all those around me. Why? Because we once rejected him, but God raised him on high. He has the name above every name. The world is at his feet. He has forgiven us our sins. He wants us to be with him and to share in his glory. And that is the picture of what takes place in Genesis chapter 42 through 45. God redeems and restores what was broken. He places Joseph in the preeminent position to accomplish the salvation of many. And that's exactly what he does with Jesus on the cross. 
that regardless, Jew or Gentile, regardless of where you have been and what you have done, no matter how far backslidden you may feel you are, that Jesus says there is no one too far gone that can't come and partake in the communion I offer to receive the salvation I give. And keep that very clearly in mind, it is a gift. That Jesus' salvation is a gift and you have to accept it. It's a very simple response for us to understand the role that we play in this. That God is the victor, that God is the king, that God restores, that God saves, that God redeems even the things we look at and say, I'm not sure he could ever redeem it. God wants to redeem you where you're at. God wants to save you no matter how far backslidden you are. My question is this. Will you, like the brothers, own your sin, confess him and call out for God's grace so that you can experience life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the perfect will that you had. We thank you for the fact that your word proclaims your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the fact that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, once for all, never to be done again, to redeem us, to purchase us, to cleanse us of any and all unrighteousness. And we thank you for the garments of salvation that you give us, that we can walk with great hope, great grace, and understanding, knowing that you are at work and that you want to work in our lives and you want more people to understand your salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.